0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Gumbo Live. Here's your host, BJ from Board Game Gumbo.
1: Hey, board gamers. BJ from Board Game Gumbo here. Back in the gumbo pot. It's another episode of Gumbo Live, episode number 138. Gumbo Live is the number one Facebook Live talk show in League City, Texas dedicated to board gaming. That's right. League City, Texas. Shout out to our friends, Patrick Newman and Cindy Newman. They were listening to some Bullfog brothers while Taco Tuesdaying today. I I approve that. Bullfog brothers. We can't beat that. So our special guest tonight. I am super excited about tonight's show. Tori Brown, the designer of Votes for Women, a game we really enjoyed here in the Gumbo, and Kevin Bertram, the publisher of Votes for Women, who Philip Millman says is a really nice guy. I mean, Is there anything more we need to know than that? We've got Tori Brown and Kevin Bertrand coming in. A couple of quick show notes. Hit us up on social media tonight, at BoardGameGumbo on Twitter or Facebook, and we'll be checking in with our questions in the chat today. But enough lather. Let's get right to our special guest. First up, Tori Brown. Welcome in, Tori. Hello.
2: Thank you, BJ. It's so nice to be here.
1: All the way from Woodbine, Maryland. No, that's not right. DC. No. That's right. Washington DC. That's right. <laughs> Washington DC. That's right. Checking in. That was by the way, that was some shtick we we're doing there. Uh uh, I saw Patrick checking in. Happy, happy taco Tuesday. That's right. Well, welcome in.
2: Holy of days. And we've got this
1: Kevin day. from Fort Circle. Welcome in. How's it going? It's going fantastic. Thank you guys for ch- checking in on Gumbo Live. I love talking games with people like Tori and Kevin. And but even though I know who you guys are, maybe some of the people in the chat might not. So Tori, why don't you go first? Give us the elevator pitch. Who is Tori Brown?
2: Not know who I am. I am Tori <laughs> Brown. I am the designer of Votes for Women, a card-driven game about the American women's suffrage movement and the ratification of the 19th Amendment. This is my very first game, and I am incredibly excited to be here to talk with you about it. It's published by. Fort Circle Games, and you'll hear all about that in a second. Um, When I'm not designing my very first and super fun and pretty game uh, about the (laughs) suffrage movement, uh, I live in Washington, DC. I work in politics, which may not be surprising if you see the theme of the game. I root for the Washington Nationals, which used to be a lot more fun. I've got two cats, a husband, and um, I'm about to turn 40, and it's very exciting.
1: Hey, Patrick's got a question for you already. Do you ever hang out in Old Town, Alexandria? I don't think he's referring to Ellic, Louisiana. I think he's talking about someplace else.
2: No, Old Town, Louis, uh, Old Town Alexandria, Virginia ah, is a okay. beautiful spot right on the waterfront. Um, amazing Main Street, lovely restaurants, great shopping. Um, it's I, I get down there as often as I can, which isn't as often as I should.
1: Old Town, Alexandria. We're going to have to check that out. Kevin, have you been?
3: I have. Um, although you usually need a passport to cross the Potomac River to go into Virginia, sometimes it's worth it. So
1: passport and all, make sure all your shots are up in yeah, order, absolutely. right? Malaria, so, everything yes. else, right?
2: Yeah. I'm
3: yes, sure. um, it's really lovely. My, my name is Kevin Bertram. Uh, I am the owner of Fort Circle Games. Uh, Fort Circle is actually named for the string of defensive forts that uh, protected uh, our nation's capital during the Civil War, and uh, I'm. Uh, the designer of Shores of Tripoli and uh, I'm an old friend of Tori's. And so I'm so glad we got to work together on uh, votes for women. You and got- I'm not just, I'm not turning 40.
1: Um, ah, okay. Yeah. me you neither. tread that yeah. ground long ago. Yeah. seen that. We saw that milestone already, Kevin. So we actually have something in common. I was just thinking, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you guys are the historians, not me. D.C., is similar to the area I'm from because it used to be a swamp, right? Didn't if I remember right in the no. in the early history of the Capitol.
2: No, that is a, that is lies, it is specious lies that Washington used to be a swamp. Um, you know, politically, sure, whatever. Um, but there's uh marshland actually. Marshland, which is okay ecologically distinct from swamplands. Well, uh, we're proud people of want to swamp. believe it, right? We're yes. proud of our swamp down here, you know. Swamps are incredibly like important natural ecosystems. There's nothing to be ashamed of, except the Washington D.C. part.
1: We're trying to rebuild ours because they're great for hurricane, you know, protection and great for the uh, coastlands. So we're trying to get ours big. So Patrick brought up that because he said there used to be a really cool pub called Ireland's Own that was fun to hang out in. Anybody familiar? Maybe.
2: Nope, maybe. sorry, Patrick. Maybe uh, did maybe, he run him maybe. out of business? What happened to What happened to Ireland's Own?
1: Patrick drank all the abita root beer, and they went out of business. That's probably what happened. So it's
2: impressive. <clears throat> Put that Patrick. on a resume.
1: Patrick Newman loves the historical games. I've got a couple back there that he's big fans of by our friend Jason Dinger. I don't know if you guys know Jason, but he designed Crescent City Cargo, and he designed uh, Captains of the Gulf, two games about our uh, our area down here in Louisiana. So. I'm in a
3: Facebook group with him, so that's how I know him.
1: Okay, yeah. He's got a new one coming out uh, next year or so called The Acadians. Very proud of that one. Can't wait to see that one. So Christopher Brown checking in. Thank you for checking in. Chris, if you have any questions for Tori or Kevin, hit us up.
2: That's my dad.
1: Oh, is it really? My dad. Send him the link if he wants to join the show. We've got room if he's got questions. Is that really your dad? Wow, that's
2: great. He's the best. Thank he you, Chris. Is ref- like, um He's helping me set up a lecture for a university uh, down in Wilmington, North Carolina, where he lives. Um, he's been a super champion of the game, and it's really nice to see him here. Thank you, Dad.
1: All right. So we've got a couple other people coming in. We've got the Gumbo Overlord, who you have not mm-hmm. met yet. Verla's here. Verla, welcome in. Hi,
2: guys. Hey, Verla.
1: Nice Verla, to check meet you all. And Steve also, who you got to talk to in the pre-show, Steve was one of the ones, Kevin, that got to play Votes for Women. So Steve and his friend Adam are going to have some uh, questions as we get closer to that part on on Votes for Women. But, I, I, you know, this game, this show is all about talking about games, board games, games that we've played recently. And one of the ones I'd like to hear from is Tori Brown. Uh, you You talked about playing a game called Holotype recently. So tell us a little bit about Holotype, if you don't mind.
2: Sure. Holotype is a worker placement game. It's pretty light strategy. Uh, It is about finding dinosaurs and marine reptiles. We should be clear that they're not all dinosaurs. Um, Essentially, it's a publish or perish game where you are a paleontologist, you have a research assistant and a grad student, and you are visiting dig sites, you are going to the library, you are looking at other specimens in the museum, and you are um, trying to achieve personal as well as global objectives to um, publish certain kinds of, of research. So, you know, it is, you know, Academically nerdy in nature on about uh, you know dinosaurs and reptiles, and it was a lot of fun. I would say you know that light strategy was really nice, um, and you know you're visiting Hell's Creek Formation and all these different dig sites around the country. It was a lot of fun, um, and I think you play up to five or six player. And as you increase player, you flip over uh, the worker placement boards, and so it scales pretty well.
1: Story, I think you're getting in Patrick's wallet already. He says he's sold.
2: Well, <laughs> uh, have you have you heard of a game called Votes for Women? If you're going to buy just one game, get that game know.
1: first, Patrick. <laughs> then talk about but Holotype. Come on, is- <laughs> save on shipping. So Jared and I got to play Holotype, uh, Holotype Mesozoic North America. We played it live on on our, on our Twitch channel. Uh, we actually enjoyed it. It was uh, like you said, it was on the lighter end of the scale, which doesn't bother me. Hey, look, I've got. Thousands of Ticket to Ride games and all those. I I like, actually, like games. Uh, Steve and Verla and I hang out in a group called Chuck's Gateway and Filler Games Group. So this is not a show that disparages like games at all. We love them. In fact, I think you mentioned that when you talked to Dan Theroux, uh, Tori, that that's one of the things that attracts you. Uh, Two things I think you said. The rules are easy, and you can beat your husband every single time. So that's... It's, I've got a wife who beats me at most of the games that we play, so I know exactly what your husband's going through. But uh, where, where do you... Um, if if you were trying to kind of pitch this game to somebody that hasn't played it before and you're, and you're talking about the mechanics, what's the thing that's going to stand out for them?
2: I think the idea that you you know, can play these different characters, right? Uh, a, a, re, a professor, you know, full-blown professor gets lots of access to these dig sites, uh, grad student, a research assistant, fewer and fewer, um, the way that it threads the, you know, sort of seemingly r- has, you know, incredibly accurate dinosaur and, and reptile types with these different formations. So you're getting a sense of where these digs are around the country, um, and then the need to, um, to manage your resources in um, a really sort of easy to understand kind of way. And I think that there were like instructions on the cards in a way that I really appreciated that the, you know, it sort of takes from the rule book and puts them into the gameplay um, on the, the main board, as well as the worker board in front of you. Um, So it was, like I said, super easy to play, interesting, and dinosaurs slash marine reptiles. I did like that part that you talk about though.
1: I like any game that has, Workers that are a little bit different from each other. Tricarion is one of my favorite games. And, y- you know, learning to, to to deal with all the different types of ways that the workers will play. That's one of the things that I really enjoyed. Obviously, uh, the holotype is it's not as think you're as deep as any of those games. So this, this is a way you can play that kind of game without, you know, breaking your brain, <laughs> as, as Tricar- Tricarion usually does for me. Yep, yep. Is, is that and one I of think- the, that's the part that you like, one of those things?
2: Yep, yep. Um, that it is sort of easy to jump into, work your way through, Um, and they've got an expansion. I think I understand they're trying to kickstart or like they're getting close on a European um, sort of version, right, where the decks are for European dig sites. And I would love to see them get to China because there's just some super fascinating um, research happening.
1: Patrick has a question to compete for grant money. I don't remember there being any kind of direct interaction between the players for that, which would be pretty thematic of course. Right. Super <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that part there. There was a competition for the, the types of research that you're going to do so that you could up, uh, either upgrade your cards or fulfill the cards. I'm not sure what the, the mechanic was, but it was, it was something like that.
4: Yeah.
1: Berla, what do you think?
4: It's Is kind, kind of reminding me of, of- I think it's called Encyclopedia that recently came out. It was kickstarted where you are um, going around to different continents, not archaeological digs, but you are uh, getting cards, animal cards, researching so that you can publish your research. But this sounds lighter, and I, I think I would like that better. Encyclopedia was kind of midweight, but uh, yeah, this just sounds like it might flow better.
1: Might have to bring form. it to ChuckCon this summer, Steve. What yeah, do you think?
0: interesting. Um, I'm, I'm a college professor myself. So so long as this does not come with a a faculty senate or committee service expansion, I'm I'm all about it.
1: I had to I had to keep playing the publish or perish card like yeah. over and over and over again to try. No, I don't remember. The, I don't think there's, that's in the game, but I really did enjoy it. And it's got it's got dice, anything that, you know, there there it wasn't an automatic element for well, I'm trying to remember what the dice do. Is that the resources that you're going to use to turn mm-hmm. in the cards, or is that the direction you're going with the cards? Do you remember,
2: Tori? I think it was the um, the kinds of fossils, right? There were like three tiers of mm-hmm. fossils that you could accumulate. And you needed like two greens and a purple, or right. And so those were those cubes that you would then um, sort of amass to right, sort of push around once you so you could get to publish.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. We needed it sobo. Patrick Newman says, so we have a, a convention uh, called Southern Board Game Fest over here in Acadiana, Torrey. And we, you know, it's one of those kind of regional cons. We get, you know, about 300 people, but uh, we do try to focus on having a nice curated library with lots of different things going on. So, Patrick, and Patrick's one of our mainstays, he goes to the to Sobo. So, yes, I will bring it if you want to yes. play it. Might even just donate it to the library, let everybody uh, get a chance to play no it. No comments
0: so that- on the spelling of Sobo, BJ?
1: I should have said something. Ah, That's right. Yeah. On.
0: No, that <laughs> is actually how we spell it. We spell it
1: S-O-B-O. Uh, just, just to make it quick, but you're right. If I had my choice. You want the we, E-A-U-X and all that. Be, it would yeah. definitely have the E-A-U-X. Themed to death. Anytime I say go to Sobo, you know what I'm going to spell. That's, That's right. right. There you yeah. go. But no, Sobo, we just say oh. S-O-B-O. Okay. Man, it's a lot shorter than S-E-A-U-X, B-E-A-U-X <laughs> so. I don't know if you know, Tori, we're obsessed with that down here in South Louisiana. So mm-hmm. I have heard. I am so glad you mentioned all the time because I, I got to play it a couple of times with uh, Jared. Probably need to get it back on the table because I'm, I'm having a little trouble remembering, remembering some of the mechanics. But I do remember, I remember enjoying it, and I remember that being really that it was one of those games where it was really competitive all the way down to the end. And I like those kind of games. So mm. I think we had yeah. lost Kevin, but I think he's – no, he's, he is still gone. Uh, hopefully okay. we can get Kevin back in there because we were going to talk about, um, Kevin Khan next, but he's let's not in there. Back. Yeah. We'll circle back to that. Let's see. We'll,
0: we'll fort circle back.
2: Oh,
1: let's see. It
2: says his, his I'm sorry. You, we
0: didn't talk about this in advance, but prepare for pain.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Groners, groaners deserve groans. hmm
1: yeah, it says some so, Kevin. You have to try again because it says something about his device is not connected. I'm not sure. We may have we may have lost Kevin. So okay, I'm not sure. So that, you know, talking about uh, Kevin, how did you guys meet? You and uh, Kevin Bertram.
2: Sure. So uh, in the year 2000 and the way back whens before all the children were um, were people, uh, I was a freshman at uh, George Mason University and on the debate team there. And Kevin was helping with the debate team, having been a former debater himself. And so um, I was a, oh, I'm just, I'm telling you now, Kevin, I'm telling, the how, we met. I'm telling the how we met story. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so I am. This incredibly um, naive seventeen. 17- oh. um. Pay no
0: attention! It's an idiot driving past our house. Oh, okay,
1: got that, is that New York City? Oh, nice.
5: Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: I was an incredibly naive seventeen-year-old Kevin, a wizened elder in the debate community, um, and uh, we. Uh, you know, he helped out with the debate team and we stayed in contact. I worked for Kevin for like a couple of years in between campaigns, which was a lot of fun. And again, um, you know, been friends, go to baseball games, soccer games, basketball, all sorts of stuff together. Um, And uh, you know, just I was super happy when he started Fort Circle and started working on Shores of Tripoli. It was something that obviously was super passionate about and it was incredible to watch the launch and how successful Shores of Tripoli was, how much people loved it. And it I think I, I got the bug a little bit from that.
1: So Kevin, that's a good segue. Tell us about Fort Circle Games. So, you know, you have a catalog of two now, so. We've doubled our right. output.
3: That's right. Um, yeah, so uh, when I started, when I designed Shores of Tripoli, I started looking at publishers and um, it was pretty clear that Most publishers don't put the same amount of love into a game that a designer does. And so I was like, well, I might as well publish it myself. So I have, you know, the resources to support a game uh, like I think it should be. And so uh, that's sort of why I decided to. publish Shores of Tripoli instead of have someone else publish it. And so uh, the pandemic certainly threw us off our uh, production schedule a little bit, a story I'm sure can tell you. Um, But now uh, we've got a number of uh, games lined up that we're pretty excited about. Um, I think the next two games that we'll be uh, uh, publishing, one is called First Monday in October, which is on um, the history of the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court. And -hmm. then one is called... um, the Halls of Montezuma. It's a sibling game to the Shores of Tripoli, and I have a co-designer for that, um, uh, uh, Gilberto Lopez. And I think I'm answering the right question, but to be honest, I was out of this uh, conversation for about ten minutes there. So I hope I'm answering no. what I'm supposed to be answering right now. So you you're actually, you actually right. brought
1: up something. So Steve and Verla, if you ever buy a Fort Circle game, and you should. One of the things you're going to be impressed when you take... Well, number one, it's got... By the way, you have great boxes. The boxes are absolutely nice, thick, chunky, great solid. boxes. But, when, Yeah, solid. But when you open it up, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see a rule book, but you're also going to see just all this flavor stuff. Uh, You know how Philip wrote that, that great thing in the back of the Watergate book where he goes through all of the history mm-hmm. of the Watergate stuff? You get the same thing here in the Shores of Tripoli. You get this just background information about it. It's got a letter... I don't remember because it's been a couple of years since I did the review. Kevin, you have to help me. There's a letter that that stares at you right when you get there, maybe from uh, James Madison. I can't remember now.
3: It's from Jefferson to uh, the Basha of Tripoli. And it's this, you know, it's that flowery early 1800s language that is really like super threatening. But you read it and You know, it's like, oh, it's this flowery, my friend, please help (laughs) watch over our ships when actually it's like, we're coming to get you. And so it's a great letter. And that was a test my, my wife and I were talking about how, like, how can we really like, engage students or people interested in history. And so that was a test. And when that test was went so successfully, that's when Tory went full riot on uh, documents to go and vote for women. So
1: Verla, you know, because you've played New York 1901 with me, you know, that I just love when you open up a box and it's got just awesome little components. There's just something about it. I was playing, I was playing a game. It was a Gentis, the deluxified edition. And Mm -hmm. I had an unknown dice tower, uh, reviewer walk by and he saw us playing and he's like, Oh, is that the new edition? I said, yeah. He said, there's nothing different from the first one. I just like the first one. I was like, yeah, well we could have played with just a poster board and, and (laughs) markers you know I mean, and it's true, you could play votes for women just with a poster board and markers, but how much fun is that? We're board gamers, right? We like the bling Actually, we, Kevin we kevin brings we did in the beginning. Games. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. True, <laughs> that's true. It's Jay Bell always tries to get me to play prototypes, and I do. Jay, I love playing your prototypes, but man, I all I see is white pieces of paper and car, you know, handwritten numbers. I'm just I'm just such a, I'm more of a visual person. I just don't see, I don't see the game when it's just little components like that. I really do struggle with that. Film.
2: I've been doing some demos, um, which has been so fun. Um, there's a Game Castle franchise near in College Park near here. I was able to do um, a demo in uh, Labyrinth, which is the best little game store in the country here in Washington DC. Um, and I bring the prototype with me. I bring the the there's both the prototype and the playtest kit for folks to see, sort of like the difference to see how different it feels to play from just you know basic discs and um you know sort of nonsense you know standard pieces to what comes in the final votes for women box and um it is night and day
1: i'm telling you kevin brings kevin brings the bling but i saw steve had a question about in in our little show notes about something that i didn't even know it existed and i kind of did a little bit of research kevin tell us about uh circle dc or as steve calls it Kevin Kevin Conn. Kevin Kahn. Con. So, uh,
3: I am actually, shouldn't be a publisher, I should be a wedding planner, because that's my <laughs> calling in life. And, and so, uh, and then I also like um, both in tournaments and events, and in fact, and I ran some excellent college debates in the past, Debate tournaments. Um, so, I wanted to do something to kind of, pull together um all of the designers and the not only the commercial designers like tori and i but kind of the professional war gamers who work for the government and you know folks from the media and then just people who like to play games um all into because there's such a concentration of folks here in dc so we put together a little event it was just over a hundred people but the uh you know the designers there was pretty impressive that picture you're showing there that's elizabeth hargrave and jason perez that tory's teaching right there um david thompson jason matthews Volker like you know it was I like mean, an steve, it's like almost a steve it's like a who's who
1: list here man yeah. Yeah. when your picture is taken by jason matthews designer of, tw- of twilight struggle you know you've got a nice picture going there yep
4: yeah.
3: so yeah so it was a great event um we held it in a uh Mason Lodge uh, that is extremely old and extremely, I mean, it was a cool place to have it, although uh, I I think it might have been a little tight for what our needs would have been great if it was only 60 people. So it was a little loud, but, you know, we had a, I mean, got to see some great prototypes, uh, we got to play Undaunted uh, Battle of Britain the first time that David Thompson was showing that off. Um, he and Liz uh, Davidson from Beyond Solitaire have a game called Night Witches, which as a publisher I'm very Ooh. interested in. And then, Oh, um, the Night Witches. That's fantastic. Yes. And then, uh, I mean, I saw a ton of games. Uh, Dan Bullock has this outstanding game about being corrupt military contractors, which resonates in this area. And um, I played a game that... Uh, i have been pitched on... So it won the, the, whatever, some design jam where you had to put a game together in 72 hours and the between uh, Japan and Russia after the War of 1905. And I'm like, yawn, what a boring subject. But they convinced me to play it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is an amazing game. So even though mostly I was administering the event, I get to play all these great games. I got to talk, talk to all these great design- designers um, National Public Radio sent it a reporter over. They mostly were there for Tory, not surprisingly, and then um, our local glossy magazine, Washingtonian, was there, and that was super fun. And so, you know, trying to mainstream our uh, silly little hobby. And uh, so, it was a Tory, is it
1: true? Should Kevin quit his day job and become just a full time convention planner? Was it a good time?
2: Uh, as the person who's been published by Fort Circle, <laughs> no. <laughs> I would like him to continue publishing games. Yeah, that's true. But in his free time, uh, he is a wonderful host. I-, I think Kevin's main talent, his like, raison d'être in life is as a host, that he is magnanimous, he's welcoming, he is warm and wants people to have a very good time. And I think he met all of that with Circle DC. It- was a little loud. The acoustics were a little funky in the space and like there might have been some human sacrifice that had happened there (laughs) in a fun kind of way. Um, Just like Like you do. Like you do, do. Um, but to bring that many amazing designers, folks flew in, right? DC has a great concentration of, I mean, you know, Jason Matthews, Liz Hargrave live here. Like there's going to be, you know, right. um, strength from uh, the 202. Uh, but folks came in from all over and, um, you know, all these different games happening at once. And to just walk around and look at the different boards, the different components, there's a really nice range. And I think it speaks to both the work that, Um, that war game hobbyists are doing and designers to support different titles, to expand the hobby and the community. There were, you know, there were other girls there, which was (laughs) nice and doesn't always, um, And so, you know, um, I think that and that is, I think, intentional to try to create more space for different kinds of voices, different themes, attract different people. And I think that Fort Circle and uh, Circle DC are a part of that important work.
1: That's some great stuff. We've got our we've got our little uh, con coming up in uh, Alabama this summer. Yeah, we do. We've got Sobo, but Mm -hmm. I'm I'm hearing some good ideas that maybe we can steal. Steve. Oh, absolutely.
4: Yeah, Yeah. the wheels are turning. Yep. I would actually also
3: recommend. Oh, I would recommend uh, having something that draws on the local area. So we had uh, Mitch Reed, who is a war gamer at the Pentagon, take a 15-person t- tour of the Pentagon. Right, wow. and that's something that I did. Is something we do here. We couldn't do it this year because it's closed. But next year the. Paul
2: Belmont house.
3: Yeah, which was, well, Tori can give you the history more. It's an important location for women's suffrage movement. Unfortunately, it was closed this year. as was the Folger Shakespeare Library, which was a block from Mm. where we were, who we're doing some work for. So like, you know, tie into your local things that make your location cool and Kind of show it off, you know. Play games you ninety know, percent of the time and see some cool stuff ten percent of the time. Make so the
2: we, inside kids go outside. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you, 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 we're joking about it, but it's it's an absolute truth. Patrick will tell you that this our last Southern Board Game Fest, which is our third or fourth one. We decided to time it to the same weekend as the Festival Creole de, de um the Cadien de Creole, a food and music festival. That is right next. To, I'm telling you, it's 100 yards from your board game table. So at Gen Con, you can leave Gen Con and walk across the street to a food truck and get a burger.
0: Or, or you're you're salivating just a little bit there. I you saw can, your face. You can finish yeah. your boats
1: for women and go get fried alligator or jambalaya or boudin balls or whatever you want to eat right there while you're listening to Steve Riley and the Mamu Playboys playing in the background. And is it? I,
2: is it the same weekend as Gen Con? Are you going to do that to me?
1: No, I'm not. It's, okay. uh, it's the week after Essen. So when everybody gets back from Essen and they, and they uh... want to just do something nice and local. And uh, as Patrick said, if you're a foodie, it's a foodie nirvana for Louisiana food right there. So we decided that when they moved weekends to the fall, we're like, what are we going to do? You know what? We're just going to postpone our con for six more months because the thrill of not having to... A... Because the previous uh, years... We had to we had DoorDash and waiter food in. Are you eating M and M's? You know what I mean? No, we mm. we want people to get away from the tables, take a break, listen to some Cajun music, listen, play some, uh, eat some good food, and I think that, I think that balance, right? When when Bert and I went to BGG Con, I am I am as I go to more and more conventions over the last ten years, I still play hard and I still play long, but you got to have that mental break sometimes just to yeah. get away.
2: And that opportunity to like, I know so many people now from Twitter and to like actually like play with them is one thing, but to be able to sit down, to walk across the street, to sit down and have some food, to just sort of like, oh, you're a real person with like all other things happening. I think it's really nice.
1: Yep. Just to chat. You can still schedule games like uh, Con. I've got uh, John Company II. You know, we're going to be playing that. But at the same time, I've also got a trip to a local lake. And we're going to do some boating, you know, just just to get away from everything. So, mm-hmm. I really like it. I think it's fantastic. Great. Ideas. How long
4: did Kevin Cod last? How many days was it? How many uh, three months? days? Three days. Okay. Yep. So,
1: this was
0: the first. This was the first inaugural.
3: Yes, and I think yeah. I think we might stretch it to four next year, but with that first day being kind of an academic conference because we have a lot of people yeah. who are game designers who are also in the academic world, so a number of professors. Yes. You know, we actually had folks down from the MIT lab. I, I think probably maybe, what, 10%, Tory, 10 or 12 people were there who were professors at this yeah, lab. And okay. so kind of formalize some of the discussions that are occurring with games. And so mm-hmm. to kind of give a little more legitimacy to our hobby. And uh, yeah, so I think we'll do four, four days next year is the plan. Just bring in Every the whole day.
2: Central Michigan team, right?
3: Yep. Okay.
2: We got to put that on our
1: calendar. So get, get the word out on social media, Kevin, so we can see. You know, you never know. You might see some of us over there. It would be a great one some to go the to. the crew. You, you never know. All right. I'm I think it's Bring that
2: alligator with you because we don't have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can
1: do that. I can could, I could bring something. Uh, we'll see. We, we will see. BJ from Morgan & got my guests here, Tori Brown and Kevin Bertram. Tori, the designer of Boats for Women. Kevin, from Fort Circle Games, and it's time to talk about the big game, Votes for Women. Tori, it's your first game. What was it like seeing that game at Labyrinth? I saw that picture right there in the middle of Labyrinth. What was that like? And and tell us about Votes for Women.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, I, th- I think I'm still in a bit of a, a state of disbelief. It is hard to believe that this game that was in my heart and in my head for years is actually on – other people's tables and shelves. Um, It has been, I I didn't know what to expect um, from the release and um, it has exceeded those wild (laughs) non-expectations. So um, votes for women is a game about the American women's suffrage movement from 1848 to 1920 and the ratification of the 19th amendment. In 2020, America celebrated the centennial of that um, amazing moment. And it seemed, and I read an article the year before about all of the planning, there was a commission, there was all of this stuff that was gonna happen. Um, And it seemed like a really great time to tell a story about this amazing movement uh, to an Audience that maybe you know wouldn't um, wouldn't have heard anything in history class and wouldn't you know necessarily crack a nonfiction tome. Um, so to reach a new audience with this great story, and you know, and to coincide with the August twenty twenty um, moment of the centennial. Uh, then the pandemic happened, and everything sort of got turned upside down, which is great. I mean, no, it was, the pandemic was terrible. I still, um, but the time that we were able to spend on development, on research, on working it out, on having a bajillion people play test it and send us their thoughts and reactions and feedback, being able to incorporate that, being able to put 13 different historical documents together to include in the box um, has been, um, you know, I think it really shows uh, the care and the love that went into this game. It's uh, primarily an area control game, uh, card driven. And um, that's a pretty you know light strategy in a like very nice way. Um, it's certainly the heaviest game that a lot of my friends have ever played, but I make them play it because it's my game. Um, <laughs> the game is um, one to four player, two-sided game. Um, I think it plays best. One versus one, suffrage versus opposition. And, you know, they each have their own deck, and you drive through history as you're pulling these cards and you're encountering uh, famous and not so famous people. You're encountering historical moments like the Civil War and then the 15th Amendment. You're encountering divisions in the suffrage movement. You're really feeling the story and feeling the push and pull that the suffrage movement went through as they were campaigning across the country and trying to get um, eventually the 19th Amendment passed through Congress. So there are two victory conditions for the game. Suffrage needs to um, to put uh, six columns into the congressional track and then um, build power across 48 states, since that's all the states that there were. No offense, Alaska and Hawaii, I think you're great. This didn't exist in 1920 when the um, the an amendment was ratified, and uh, suffrage needs 36 states, three quarters of the the states to ratify. That's what Article Five says of the Constitution. So that's what we put into the rule book, and that means well, that the office, and
1: conditions and, built in right there, right, right out, out of the Constitution.
2: Yeah. James Madison doing me a solid, helping me with the rule book.
1: If you look on the all the way in the back of the rule book, he's listed as a co-designer. James Madison.
2: <laughs> his, his how to
0: his how to play videos are the best.
1: Yeah, Madison.
2: They are. Right. They are. Um oh, hey, does anybody have a
1: quill? We need to take the score down. I need we gotta fill out the score pad.
2: Just have a parchment pad, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Oppositionally needs thirteen states. You know, it's a lot easier to not do anything in America than to do things. I don't know if anybody had noticed that, Um, but the asymmetrical uh, play I find super fascinating. The decks are full of artwork and news clippings and primary source documents. Um, The map is really pretty. I don't know. I really like. I really like it. I would love this (laughs) game even if I didn't make it. So that's, that's votes for women.
1: Yeah. I was trying to look for the, I was actually trying to look for the cards. So Kevin, what attracted you to this game? You used remember how I told you that I'm not very good with prototypes. So I'm sure when you first saw it, it didn't quite, it didn't have the Fort circle treatment yet. Right. Well, but what, it, what attracted that, you to
3: the game? So normally, you know, a designer works on a game and sends it to a, that's some awesome background and his wife
1: dolly supplied the game night snacks that's right um is
3: actually tori and i talked about the design before she started working on a design and so i don't know when that was tori maybe 2018 i mean i know it started 2019 yeah so tori had started playing more games and getting interested and you know she's you know deep into politics understands that she'd liked really enjoyed watergate really enjoyed 1960 and so you know we had a conversation and you know i think she had had the idea and i started thinking about the idea a little bit too because of 2020 was coming up um it's definitely i'm not trying to take any of her glory but like this was a discussion we had so there wasn't like a prototype that just came to me because we talked about it and then she went to go to work uh for a prototype. but she so told I, dan I like you
1: described it, to- it and you went I'm in like right
3: oh, away yeah, what, what,
1: what was that spark what, what was that spark right away well
3: so i like working with tori i mean that's just that simple and so she could have proposed most anything and i've been excited about it but then when you know we have an. i think that i don't mean to get too heavy about this but i think that you know historical particularly wargaming has always been sort of a male dominated space and the opportunity to maybe expand that a little bit also really, I thought, was kind of a, a good thing to do, a good move. Um, and it's also, like, I love 1960. I love political games anyways. And I knew that with Forey's depth in the history and her attention to detail and just, you know, having worked with her in debate and then in the business world, I knew it was going to be a great project. So I was like, yeah, yeah, we got to do this. So
1: Yeah. And Tori, I've, I've, re- I've heard the interviews. You don't shy away from the fact that this is a war slash conflict slash, you know, type of game, right?
2: Yeah. it is. I mean, 70 years, all of these states, all of these people, all of this back and forth. I mean, Inez Holland died campaigning for suffrage, right? Body counts is apparently what we need for a war game, right? Um, I do think though that nonviolent conflict, especially for political rights, it's important to have that kind of that, uh, we understand that that war isn't the only way things are settled, right? That there are processes even as difficult and as daunting as something like a constitutional amendment, um, that the conflict here is worth understanding and is good gameplay because it was not just like the suffragists were like, yeah, we want to vote. And everybody was like, we don't think so. And they're like, no, we really do. And they're like, okay, right? Like it was it was resistance. It was mockery. It was um, winning and losing and winning again, right? And so you feel that as you're putting down the cubes in the, on the map, this kind of like, was not unidirectional. It was not just mm-hmm. happy go lucky momentum. It was fierce opposition at almost every turn and you know that the the tension of that Comes through in the game is, I think, a testament to a lot of research to sort of like get that history involved. And then I think, you know, a lot of feedback from our play testers. Uh, you know, Jason Matthews, who is the designer of 1960 Making of a President, similar game uses the, the electoral college as a sort of, um, you know, the, the mechanical structure behind the game. You know, We use just a sort of simple three quarters to, um, to one quarter count. Um, Constitutional amendment ratification. You know, the just the the input, the feedback that I got working with Kevin, working with folks to um, to make the gameplay as smooth as it is was um, just a really gratifying process. To have this, like I've got this idea, and then all these people help me shine it into what is Votes for Women now.
1: Well, Steve and I love talking about history. I know Berta likes history. But we brought in a ringer. We've got Adam Mills, a friend of ours from the Chuck's uh, group, and I want to bring Adam in because he's got some good questions for you, Tori. Are you ready for some? You know, we do a
5: lot of stick on the shows, Steve. <laughs> but now we're going to
1: now we're going to bring an actual expert in. Welcome in, Adam.
5: Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm an expert, though.
1: You're you're a teacher, though, and I am not. I do have a history degree, but I am not a teacher. And so, Adam, I, I appreciate you coming in. You've got some good questions for for Tori and Kevin.
5: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, so I am a special education high school history teacher uh, who focuses on trying to bring games into the classroom as much as possible, and also share my love of gaming and convince other educators to use games in the classroom. Um, I've you know been served on panels at uh, PAX Unplugged and PAX East, New York Comic Con. Uh, discussing why games should be in the classroom. Um, and one of the things that I, I like to focus on and my I guess my first question for you is um, through votes for women's and I guess you know g- games in general, do you find it to be more impactful for a game to be designed through the the lens of trying to spe- teach the specific historical content? Or to use historical content in games as a vehicle for more the support of historical thinking and analysis skills.
2: I think that the the way gameplay works, you know, I was I think at one point really committed to um, okay, well, you know. Arizona didn't become a state until you know eighteen whatever right? and uh, Wyoming was the first state to have women vote in elections. If you don't count New Jersey, which we don't, um, and so like I was really like one that ne- needed to adhere to chronology, mm-hmm. and I just had to shake that loose, and so I think what we gave up in the historical accuracy. Um, became an opportunity to think creatively and analyze history. So, mm. in the game, in the deck, you could play the 15th Amendment or even Reconstruction before the Civil War. And, you know, may- maybe that's kind of weird, mm. but maybe the 15th Amendment sparks the Civil War, right? Where enfranchising people from, you know, as a constitutional amendment creates this strife. Um, you know, it can think about, help us think about cause and effect, and that, you know, we understand things happened in a certain order, um, but what if they didn't? So, I, I think that I had to give up on just, you know, teach the content in mm-hmm. order to get to focus on the the... Know, the underlying forces of social change, of movement politics, of what it takes in our country to make things better for a lot of people, um, and I, you know, essentially sacrifice what would have been a sort of, you know, this is, and then this happened, and this happened, and then this happened, for what could happen, because if we can think about what could have happened then, I hope students and players will think about what could happen next for us.
5: I think that's uh, an amazing way to approach it. Um, I, you know, I, I find myself often, even before I, I begin using games in the classroom, doing a lot of kind of what if, you know, historical thought experiment type things with my students. Um, and I think that, like you so eloquently put it, you know, it, that does a great job of pushing students to not only think of well, why wasn't it this way, mm-hmm. and why. <coughs> Why, what, what are we going to do if it happens again? You know, or we are you know faced with a similar type situation. Um, also, I love the inclusion of the the primary sources. You know, that's a that's a that's a great throw-in for a history teacher to be able to. And you know, I'm also always trying to think of how to sell this to admin. And you could be like, no, it's it's not just a game. <laughs> it's also look, there's history. It's right there.
1: Yeah, well, how many pieces of, how many pieces, of, I, don't, I don't want to call it fluff, how many pieces of flavor are, are in there? It's like 13 or 15, right?
2: 13 historical reproductions slash tchotchkes, <laughs> as I've also heard it referred <laughs> to. And that was a fun project. Kevin said, like, this is important to Fort Circle. Give me two or three documents. Two um, or three. And I, <laughs> I, I, I think I gave 15 and we negotiated down to 13. Um, but in they, my
3: defense. No, no, no. In my defense. <laughs> I was on your side on the number. It was my wife who was like, "Oh, this is too much, and it's going to overwhelm people." And she now admits one of the very few times she does that she was wrong, and we were right. I fully backed all of this being in there. Kevin. There is there fact, is going me,
1: to be somebody there is going to be somebody out there that opens this box and goes, "Wait, it's one of those murder mystery games that we have to go through all the clues." <laughs>
2: It was Susan B.
0: Anthony in the, the whole
2: time.
1: I think I, I think I know the answer to this already. I think I know the story, how it came out. And, and there's also
3: one uh, piece in there that actually was not from Tori, but that was from me, oh, really? which is a letter from the Standard. So the president of the Standard Guano Company was extremely upset that Emily mm-hmm. Pankhurst was being allowed into the country. And so he wrote a nasty gram to President Wilson. And the reason I wanted that in the game is because we will be publishing a game probably in 2024 on the guano trade called guano guano, guano. and i like the fact that almost every game we have has it, or that we're planning has a tie to another game so like the shores of tripoli has thomas jefferson in it who is also in The Treason Trial of Aaron Burr, and you have Frederick Douglass, who is in Votes for Women, mm-hmm. is also in uh, the Halls of Montezuma, so, right, like, how there's these, even though these games are wildly different, wildly different topics, there's these interconnections, and so this is, the guano letter it is our connection to the guano game to Votes for Women. Adam, it is, it's, it's FCU, Adam, it's the universe, right? it. <laughs> it's the
1: FCU, Adam. It's the fourth Circle Universe, right? You got to go with that, Kevin. It's the FCU, right? Yeah,
3: absolutely.
5: <laughs> it's end up taking up the the back row of many many classrooms. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this yeah. is one. This is one you you could see using in a classroom since two or four people could play. But Tori, to me, Adam could have people watching the game. And enjoying it just as much. I I like these kind of games because when you watch other people play games like this, you actually have just as much fun as the people playing Mm -hmm. because it's sort of like a little movie you're watching,
2: right? It is, and you'd be like, hey, like, let me see that card. And you're looking over these documents. I've also played it two-sided, where you could have a group of four or five, right? Like having a jo- a group discussion about: Do we play the the event on the card? Do we campaign? Do we lobby? Do we organize? And so you're really sort of like weighing, like campaign, or like activists have to weigh. We have limited resources. We have a lot of decisions. What's our strategic advantage? There's math in the game, right? As you're considering what are average roles versus what might be dictated on the the card. Um, And so I think that there's a lot of different options for, you know, how you would focus. There's a a school or a a university in um, in Indiana, that like a a class on progressive era history. And um, that professor used the game, I think, and again, divided the class into half, and they sort of worked on it together, which is amazing.
5: yeah that's i mean as you were as you were talking that's kind of exactly how i envisioned it so i i mean again kudos um my only other question was and we you know you kind of spoke to it there in terms of there's gonna be you know there might be some math skills involved definitely some uh some group dynamic things happening if, it, if it's played that way um but i guess i was i was wondering what kinds of skills both in terms of game skills, game knowledge skills, uh, and in terms of historical knowledge and thinking, do you think students would need to already possess in order to be successful and find enjoyment with this game? And then how might it lead to generalization of skills or, for success in other content areas or other uh, games?
2: I do think that the, the, you benefit as a player by having a basic understanding of the story. I think that I would, if I was going to teach with Votes for Women, that there would be an initial narrative that you grant, because I think, you know, there are these, again, these strategic decisions, these calculations about uh, not just, you know, your your dis- your choices about what to do with these cards, but there are two victory conditions, the congressional track and the map, the ratification map. And if if you don't build enough power in Congress, you never get to the map. But if you build power in Congress too quickly, you get to the map and it really ties a lot of opposition strength. So there's this like pivotal moment where you, um, yeah. you know, a, a sort of a window and like the window in history, where it became suddenly feasible to lobby Congress and to earn votes on um, on the the underlying legislation for um, for the amendment, so the idea of timing, I think, is would be like a helpful discussion um, mm-hmm. about like the historical movement and then in gameplay, and um, and I think that would be a skill or something that you would want to talk uh, talk to students about. I do think that the um, you know, understanding social forces, uh, you know, racism is a component of this game because racism was a component of suffrage history because racism is a component of American history. Uh, xenophobia as well. And as immigrants are moving into the country, uh, both suffragists and the opposition were using people's fear of immigrants to say, well, give us the vote or don't give anybody the vote. We don't want, right? Um, and so understanding you know, that power in this country has always sought to preserve itself and has used some really unsavory means um to do so i think is also then you know if you intro it play the game and say okay what happened when that xenophobia card or white supremacy in the the suffrage movement um came in and came about i think you know helps i hope you know understand again that like protesters in 2020 didn't invent this thing called white supremacy and start complaining about it right it's been wedded through um, everything in this country and that that is why we need to be able to talk about it and unless we can reckon with our past we can never improve our future again this sort of forward-looking what do we do who in you know, who do we include? Does the suffrage movement very famously or maybe not famously enough, did not want to include a lot of black women in their struggle. Clubs were separate, right? There was this segregation even in the movement and um, and what could have been different? If the suffragists had rejected that kind of segregation and white supremacy, what if, you know, the movement itself in 1920 said, okay, we've done this amazing thing in, in the in the Constitution. What are we going to do in the South about Jim Crow laws and about voter suppression? And instead, they just sort of like gave up or focused on the ERA. And so being able to talk openly about that, which I know not everybody can, not everybody lives in a state where we can be honest and that's just how that is. Um, But I think that there's, um, you know, equipping students with facts um, and helping them think about the present um, is really powerful.
1: You know, is that, is that one, I have it on the screen up here. Is that one of the reasons if I remember right, why you have both purple and gold colors Uh, For one side, in other words, the two forms of power that that it was, well, you know, tell the audience about that. Why why you chose purple and gold. In other words, two distinct powers, whereas the other side only has one color cube to worry about.
2: Sure. The the suffrage movement wasn't a monolith. There were disagreements over you know, issues of race. And uh, the first big split comes in um, after the civil war and the 15th amendment where the constitution enshrines the right to vote for black men. um, and and, uh, And people like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony are incensed. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton gets like real graphic about like, how dare you let these uneducated black men Vote where I, this educated, wealthy white woman, am not allowed to do this, right? Susan B. Anthony takes a little bit more of like a uh, what I would call like a palatable um, stance and says, "Universal suffrage or nothing, right? Everyone in or none of us." But there are these underlying notions of um, of the racism in you know, and and that continues throughout, right? That these like beautiful, nice, happy white women can't vote while look at all these like you know um drunks and criminals and black people are allowed to vote it's um you know it it's quite a it's quite a thing so the purple and the yellow it it indicates that division in the movement where they actually split into two different organizations and sort of went side by side until the late 1800s into the 1920s. But then in the 1910s, they split again and there's more militant tactics um, protesting in front of the White House, which then ends up with the arrests and force feedings and torture in prisons, um, which, you know, like, mm, state violence, yay, that doesn't still happen at all. Um, and, and the purple and yellow were um, the colors of the suffrage movement. Purple uh, representing royal of uh, loyalty, uh, white representing purity, and yellow representing the light that shines the way. <coughs> using gold, gold, gold. Um, so purple using Purple and gold, purple and gold. <laughs> <laughs> using the the colors of the suffrage movement because that's historically accurate to represent these um, splits is um, you know I think visually really evocative and then in gameplay opposition can exploit these divisions and can if you aren't spreading out your resources equitably then you can really get hamstrung in some places where you weren't prepared
1: it's it's such a shock sometimes when someone plays that card and you've really got all of one color you know it it can really hurt so I love mm-hmm. that. I love that idea. I think it was great. Yeah. Besides the fact that you chose purple and gold, purple and gold, That's fantastic. purple and gold. Purple and gold. <laughs> Any other questions uh, for the group on on uh, on both women?
0: You, you were talking about this earlier on, both Kevin and Tori, about uh, this being a well, a kind of a war game. And to me, as we were playing it and doing a demo, it felt almost more like a siege game, like there was a long, slow build of momentum towards something. And in the early stages, opposition is trying to throw up roadblocks and survive and camp out behind. But you're right, the timing of that, the accumulating and spreading across the board, the momentum starts to shift. And then you have to pivot to saying, when can we get the amendment um, through? And then take it to ratification. Have we laid the groundwork across the states for ratification before we do? It really did feel like it was a... It was a, um, a long, slow building attack against the opposition. So while it was war, it felt to me like it was
3: more of a castle siege to almost to some extent. One of the um, local professional wargamers here in D.C. Uh, referred to it as an insurgency game. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of truth to that. The opposition starts very strong, but yes. they're kind of hollow. And this, mm-hmm. is in, in this insurgency, the suffrage movement, has to take some time to build up power but then you know in our game hopefully if you're the suffrage player overcomes that uh, entrenched power
0: right the only other question i would have is related in way to what adam was talking about in terms of students preparedness for this or or maybe even other gamers preparedness for this when you've got a game like this where there clearly seems to be a right side of history hmm. and a wrong side of history how do you get people who are maybe not history buffs to feel comfortable playing a game where they're representing something that might be just repugnant to them and <laughs> and say, well, it's just a game. We tried it with that to just say that when we were doing the review, that it was gonna have to immediately switch sides. You had to immediately play the other side just because you needed to see both. But I could see where some folks might only wanna play against the oppo bot and never wanna have to be anti-suffrage.
2: I I learned the most from building the opposition deck. There isn't a lot of story or narrative around opposition to suffrage, right? We tell Mm -hmm. the story from one side and there's all this abstraction and you know they were just up against forces and up against right, like you know, patriarchy, and that was it. And so building out the suffrage deck was I was fascinating. It was hard, but it was important. Um, you know, there are all these senators who are just saying these really noxious things and I get to put all of them down at the bottom in the flavor text. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, we face similar struggles today and and we also face similar opposition to rights-based movements. And Mm -hmm. if we are ever going to overcome and we are going to start expanding freedoms again, rather than just lose them. We need to understand our opposition. We can't just pretend that they are cartoon characters twiddling Mm -hmm. their mustaches, right? They cannot be caricatures. They are people and industries and financial and personal incentives that we must overcome in order to sort of do this whole more perfect union business. And so I think playing votes for women gives you a very soft entry into understanding the vast array of forces that were responsible for trying to stop the suffrage movement, including many people are very surprised that women oppose mm-hmm. suffrage. Mm-hmm. It just never occurs to people that maybe some women, and it's not just like didn't want to vote, actively organized to stop all women from voting. And so that understanding is power. That understanding, oh yes, Rob, um, Mm -hmm. is, you know, and, and so I say all this in play it, understand it, and if you lose, like, Losing as opposition is kind of a night. If you hate losing, try as opposition. Sure. Um, also, or play the oppo bot. It's fine.
0: Yeah. Great answer. Thank you. Okay.
4: Sure.
1: That's some good points there. So uh, Rob said, understanding both sides of any signing issue is key to understanding. That was a great idea to have a side swap to see the views through a larger lens for sure. You make it tough because in the game of risk that most of, my, you know, generation grew up on, we knew we weren't always going to be able to control America or control Australia, the, the turtle up strategy, of Australia. You had to play countries or areas that maybe not uh, something that you would identify with. Right. Maybe, maybe that weren't always on the right side of history, but they were so abstracted in risk. This is not, this Steve, I think you'd agree with me. This doesn't feel like an abstract game at all. And no, Tori, no. kudos to you for doing that. It really felt like you know you're sweeping through history uh, as you're as you're going through the game. Now, I want to play the game more, or even watch people playing it, because like you said, sometimes you do get caught up on just check marks and purple and gold cubes instead of that awesome flavor text you have. So it'd be fun to actually watch Steve and Verda play this and go at, go at, uh, at each other at uh, Chuck Chuck on, you know, and then I can just kind of watch the movie.
2: You also get to know people in a, in an odd kind of way. It was, where am I going to put these cubes? Oh, I don't, Ohio. Like I hate that state or, oh, like like people tell you about themselves <laughs> nice. while they're playing. I'm from Michigan. So I got to make sure Michigan does my way. It's fascinating. I love it. I love it. I didn't it.
1: understand because I saw New York there and I went right North and I kept looking for Montreal and I couldn't find it. It's there. So, so I thought it's maybe there. there's something wrong with the map. So this, <laughs> this,
0: this anti-North bias of yours, BJ, you're showing you're showing your true colors, and they are not, not. They are not purple and gold. They are my, not purple and gold.
1: It's my ignorance. You know, you get above the Potomac Canal, and I don't. I don't know what's going on up
0: there. So <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get up there
1: enough. So yeah, fantastic. Uh, Patrick says, in the framework of a game, if he has to play the bad side, he's going to just play to win. You know, yeah. because essentially we are playing games. So. We have to read that right, Tori?
2: That was my assumption. Uh, Kevin and I met as, you know, in the debate community where you argue every issue from both sides and all the sides. And that arguing that global Mm. warming is good for blah, 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 whatever the, you know, oil industry said is reasonable. It's just part of the game that you play. (laughs) I've been surprised at how emotional. People react to playing opposition. I, you know, maybe like you said, in a lot of you know, games where you're playing World War II or the Confederacy, it's abstract. You are moving tanks or battle, you know, drawing battle lines, and it's not about what's underneath all of that conflict. Votes for women is the con. It is about what's underneath. It's about the morality and our sense of justice and I guess it's nice that people don't want to play opposition, but they should.
1: <laughs> they should play both sides, or they can yeah.
2: play the Bot, It's fine, whatever.
1: Watergate is one of our favorite <laughs> games, and look, you got You know, you don't want to, but once you're playing Nixon, it's not like at that point you feel like it. You just want to mm-hmm. win, like in chess, right? You're just mm-hmm. you know, you're playing chess. But at the same wait, wait, time, Nixon's the
3: good guy in that game. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, a <That's> maybe <laughs> that We'll have, to, we'll have to duke that one out, uh, Kevin. But, you know, the, that is the good thing is while you're playing the game, you're playing to win, as Patrick said. But you have the game and you look at the game and you study the game and you look at the cards and you can't help but pick up all the, the history behind it. So kudos, Tori. I think it's fantastic. Thank you. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Any other questions? If not, this is a board game show. And you know what that means? Adam, are you hanging around for the board game show, for the, for the game party? You got to go.
5: I got to go. It's getting a little late here in New York, and I still have to teach tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Speaking All right. of
0: which, before Adam goes, I just dropped the, the link to Millsocracy, his site in there, and you'll know that you'll appreciate it, that the tagline is Teaching Through Geekery since nice. 2005. Love it. So,
1: no. Well, Adam, thanks. We played games together. It's funny, but we've never actually met, so it's nice to have you on the show here. And Thank you for the thank very you, thoughtful thank you. questions.
5: Thank you. Thank you. And I can't. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. Thanks.
1: Oh. The gumbo bump. Did you hear that, Kevin?
0: Here it is. <laughs>
4: Cha-ching. Cha-ching. Oh. All right. All right.
1: Thanks, Adam. We'll see you later.
5: Thank you. Have a great night, everyone. Good night.
1: See you, Adam. All right. all right. Patrick Newman checking out too. Thank you for all the great questions, Patrick and Wayne. Night, Patrick. You got to check this out. You will never be disappointed by the bling you get in a Fort Circle game, and you get the bonus fantastic gameplay. So, mm-hmm. but Steve, this is a board game show. Yeah, Tell me what we're doing tonight.
4: What are we doing?
0: Well, tonight we are going to do a history-ish themed version of the Boudin Bowl. We have created, um, between BJ Verla and I, we have created a little draft of games where we created four categories that we were picking from. And those four categories, we'll take you through them one at a time, but what you're going to listen to is is us give a little pitch to you. We'll try to keep it to maybe 20 seconds to really keep it popping along. But we're going to tell you what the category is and why we picked the game we did and then our esteemed judges, Tori and Kevin, are going to pick winners in the category. Whoever and, they pick, and the
1: chat crew can influence them, The right?
0: chat crew can influence them. The chat group, crew group might not get votes, but they certainly do spread their influence across the map. That's right. um, so what they're going to do is put, try to pitch you. And if, if Tori likes one, that'll get a point. If Kevin likes a different one, that'll get a point. But if they both pick the same one, that one person's game will get three points. And at the end, we'll add them all up across the categories to see who picked the most history history <laughs> fantastical games.
1: Wayne says he's in. All right, Wayne. All right. And uh, <laughs> what is <laughs> Evan, <laughs> Evan is saying? What? Quacks <laughs> Every time. It doesn't matter the category. Best 17-player it, game. Yeah. It's Quacks That's That's what's the answer? That's a running
0: joke on the show, Tori. BJ and Verla, do you have our, our doc open to remind I us do, of the game? I do. Cool. I do. All right. So all right, I'll, we're playing us, the I'll lead you through the first category here and then we'll we'll go through them in order that it's BJ Verla me. We're playing
1: yeah. the Budan Bull. It's brought to us by our friends at Game Toppers LLC. Don't forget, make your game
0: nights a showstopper when you play on a game topper. Steve, take it away. All right. Our first category that BJ Verla and I were picking from, from all the games we love, we we made the first category best map game. And we let that be defined however you want. It could be the most beautiful map. It could be the most unique map playing game, the one that you love the most, whatever it is. So BJ, kick us off with what was your map pick and sell Tori and Kevin on it. The
1: Overlord's not going first? Oh, wow. Okay, good. I was, oh, it was, I was in the
0: good. order of the... Uh, you picked first. So I was going to go through dra- uh, draft style. Shh,
1: Topher. Shh. Shh. Topher, that's not a good choice at all. Topher,
4: um, that's the best choice.
1: So I did pick one and I picked it near and dear to my heart. It's a game that I got to play in its infancy, but I also got to interview the designer a couple of times and he told a fantastic story about captains of the Gulf. It's got a gorgeous map of the Gulf and he built the game in honor of his grandfather who actually was out on the water from Morgan City and shrimped and got crabs all of his life. It was a tough life back in the 20s and 30s. You know, wore his grandfather down but he, you know, Jason almost cried saying, I wish my grandfather had been alive to see what his history passing down to him and the love of the sea and the love of this map. No, tofer it's not to scale. It's not a perfect map of the Gulf of Mexico, but Harold Luski's art is fantastic in the game. It's got this evocative cover of the sea and you really see it when you're looking at captains of the Gulf. You're looking at the map just like in, in um, you, you see this beautiful map here with uh, votes for women. So. I'm hoping to play the sentimental card right on
0: number one with Mudebo, but yes. If you if you win, Jason gets a point.
1: It's all about Jason's
0: grandfather, Tori. It's Jason's grandfather in the history. Okay, BJ's made his pitch. V, what you got?
4: I have Concordia. Topher called it, and really, this is what. Steve wanted, and BJ knows that's what he wanted deep down in his heart as well, it because does. we are all constantly playing this wonderful game that comes with well, you can get the expansions, so many maps, trading on the Mediterranean, and all these different areas. It's just a classic game. Have you guys played it? If you haven't, you are missing out. It's it's brilliant. It's so elegant in the gameplay. You've got cards. Everybody has the same set of cards to start with. You just... Pick a card on your turn, play it, do what it says. Then you can buy more cards. You can, uh, you know, build your little settlement so that you can get resources, and it's just great fun. We've all been playing it on this website that finally crashed. What is you? So we're trying to get it going on Steam within our little group, um, and that's how we all bond together. And so, I mean, why would you not pick that, BJ? Mm, this is how okay. we bond.
0: <laughs> solid, solid. Our response. group. Solid response. I see your sentimentality, and I raise I raise you in more immediate group friend love here. All right, I see how this is going to go. Um, my I know Jennifer
4: and Evan are going to vote for it.
0: My, well, they certainly are already out lobbying um, <laughs> in, in consistent, inconsistent with the theme of the night. They're lobbying for your choices here. My my choice was tickets to ride, and you notice that I made that plural because the every shenanigans, shenanigans.
1: Map- I'm calling shenanigans. You you can't pick maps. It's map
0: best map game. If you're going to put me on the on the put me on the spot, I would probably say I like the Europe map or maybe the maybe the Nordic countries map might be my favorite. But those maps, if you want to get sentimental about something, those might have been our entry into the field. Maybe that wasn't our entry to the to the game friends that we have, but those are the early games that might have gotten you hooked. And what got you hooked was traveling across that map that you already know. That's that's America. That's Europe. That's Scandinavia. And now I'm laying down my trains. For me that was the idea that when I thought maps, that's the entry to the field for this. Wayne I throwing
1: I like. the darts, though. Concordia is my top 10, but that map is bleh. Burla. Mm, mm. Pick so a we different one. It. There's
4: so many options. <laughs> There's got to be prettier ones than. We're making it tough one. for you
1: and Tori, we're making it Look. tough for you and Kevin right off the bat.
3: All right, Kevin,
0: what do you think? All right, this is a piece of cake.
3: So oh. uh, Concordia does not win. Um, I like the game. Everybody I've tried to teach it to hasn't liked it. And I think at least three people have slagged the map. So Concordia is a definite no. Um, You're
4: playing with the wrong people, Kevin.
3: They're, they're, you know, terraforming Mars kind of folks, I guess. So, um, Tickets ride is a nice option. Although I don't like Europe's rules. Um, But I have to be honest, captains of the um, Gulf... Uh, I think that's, that might be my winner hmm. I like that story My great great grandmother Was the uh, Second oldest survivor on the Titanic The oldest from third class And I would That's why I feel a tie to games About the Titanic Similarly this game that Jason made uh, That's what I'm going to go for Okay
4: But nice. I think we need to do some fact checking on BJ's story Like who knows if this is even true this whole thing about Jason's grandfather, he could be uh, making what is, it all what up. Is, what, is what is truth? <laughs> what
0: is truth? What is truth? Spoken like I'll, an academic. What I'll is send truth? you
1: the link, Burla. I'll send you the link.
0: So, what do you think, Tori?
2: So, um, I've never played Concordia, and I'm here, I, I hear bleh in the chat. And so, I take that off my list. Mm. I thought I. When I heard this category, my first thought was Ticket to Ride. It's one of those games that I beat my husband at, and it's really gratifying. I've never played the Scandinavian map, so I don't know. Um, so I think I'm also going to go with Captains of the Gulf. I put a picture of my great-grandmother in the deck. in my like, I like um oh stupid cat sorry um i uh, on the uh, women in world war 1 card Is that a features... cat on the show really? Well she's oh. down she's not We sure. have a They're tradition getting...
1: of getting cats yeah. on this show.
2: So. Kevin and yeah the pirate cat <laughs> nice. over
3: there there you go. Oh, My right. cat only has one eye so I your story.
1: Tori. <laughs> okay,
2: um, So uh, I was able to put a picture of my grandmother in the, the great grandmother in the deck. It's like the sentimentality is, yes. um, is in the art, right? So if we just to decide on what metric we're deciding this sentimentality mm-hmm. and art, mm, not, not... totally your
0: call. I get it. I thought I had you with ticket to ride. If you are interested in playing a two player game, the Nordic countries one is a tight map and it's really good for two players. So beat your husband at that one. I mean. Oh, I like
1: it. Cool. All right.
0: All right. Do you want to sh- you want to shuffle up the order? Or you want to go in the same order, and let BJ, you know, you know, um, beg and I plead would, first, and then Verla and I will actually make cases. I will let. I would love for the gumbo of a lord to go next. Okay. <laughs> Verla's next pick. This next category is best city location game. So the game has to be named for a city, but we're gonna sell it to you based on gameplay or if the, the location made it thematic somehow. So Verla, what was your city game?
4: So my city game was really hard to decide on, but I went with Tilatum, however you pronounce it. Nobody knows how to pronounce it these days, it seems like. Um, and it's a real city, I think, in Belgium that has a different name now. Yeah, Evan, I could have gone with Castles of Vir- Burgundy for a region because that's my number one game. You know it. Um, but yeah, Tilatum has been just a top game for me since it came out um last year <laughs> what's that hey okay, so thing. Said- <laughs> <laughs> oh evan um but it's another map game you know it's a map of europe mm-hmm. and i don't know gosh how many hundreds of years it goes back with the different names but you are uh, dice drafting it's got really cool mechanics for how you are moving around the board moving around the map collecting resources um getting people to put in your houses and, um, yeah, I, that's that's what I go with.
2: Okay,
0: solid pick. I have yet to play that one, but I'm hoping that's going to be a Chuck Kahn. Talatum, idea.
1: fantastic. And I'm going to bring yeah, yeah. Talatum to, uh, to Chuck Con for us. Good we'll deal. Okay.
0: Fantastic. So if we're going to rotate like that, then I think it comes to me next. That
1: is a fantastic second choice. Oh,
0: fantastic. yeah. Well, okay, so let's hear the first choice. I'm going to go next. Yeah, uh, my choice would be, <laughs> um, and Topher's already nailed it, Bruges. Bruges, if you like a Euro game, Bruges is a very accessible, wonderful multiplayer, multi-use card game. You love Feld, you love, you're love. you going to love Bruges. But what I, I personally like a lot about it, and I'm going to sell you on this, the vibrant Euro color palette. The, <laughs> the kaleidoscopic taupe. Um, the, the volcanic brick and sandstone colors that really make everything the the rainbow of euro goodness this is a
1: weird weird bootamble we've got going
0: on (laughs) i'm grasping at straws i got a zero here bj but bruges is a fantastic game centered on the city of bruges and it's really accessible card play is the thing and it's a good way to get into something a little bit deeper when you're starting off in that gateway and you want to dig a little bit deeper into something strategic
1: Steve, I would have voted for Waterdeep just to be the Cylon because, I mean, that's (laughs) That's a a great great city.
4: city. Well, Bruges was what I was deciding between that and Teelitum. So, you know what? My feelings aren't hurt if you go with Bruges because that's a great pick too.
0: Magnanimous.
4: Fantastic game. But before you
1: pick one of those two, I want to tell you about my friend's grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry no i want to tell you about my game and my game is a game that i enjoyed and also because in all honesty brother's gonna question this but i actually i am related to the the original postmaster general of canada uh 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 oh, diego da silva pedro da silva uh, known as la portuguese that's what he was known because when he crossed over in the in the early 1500s he uh he was you know portuguese and they would nickname you by your name so in doing that research I found out he was originally from Lisboa. So every time I I see a game that has anything to do with that section of Portugal, I always get excited. And I got the chance to back the Kickstarter of Lisboa from Eagle Griffin Games. And when I opened it up, this is almost as good as a Fort circle game in terms of production, Steve. I mean, it's Mm. almost as good. It's Mm. like this close. Lisboa is fantastic produced. It's got amazing art from Ian O'Toole. It's got this vibrant color scheme. But it's both super simple and super complex. There's only really two rules. You play a card and you pick a card. But when you play that card, 17 things happen to you. So you got to keep all those in track. It breaks my brain. When I play it, I find it extremely thematic because if you know anything about the history of Lisboa, they had a triple whammy. They had an earthquake and a fire and something else all at the same time flood which all were related completely leveled the city city but it birthed a beautiful new city that came out mm. uh, and a art style meant manualista i think is what it's called the the buildings were built after king manuel there in a military style because the only people that were left were the military who built the city rebuilt the city in a military style so that's lisboa it goes back to my my ancestor who struggled Tori, to come across the ocean and and fought the the wilderness of of Canada, and that's a little
4: not very okay. uh, approachable though to newbies. It's not. Bruges mm. and Teletium are far I'm, more approachable for beginners. I'm curious gamers. to hear
1: what they say though. But uh, okay. oh, it's it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. Pedro, <laughs> the, Pedro Garz, no, Pedro, uh, beliefs, de BJ, Silva.
2: Ever. Accessibility matters a lot to me as you might be able to tell from my game. And that these entry games are, you know, that they're fun for everyone as well as sort of new people, right? I think that that is huge. I have been to Bruges. It is an amazing city. It is a fantastic movie and I'm voting for Bruges.
0: Oh, okay. I will cheer for that.
3: So the right answer, of course, (laughs) is Great Cities, Washington, DC just because we won't be publishing it until next year is no reason oh. that you shouldn't have picked that <laughs> um, okay. well, had Cameron, i it. known kevin Fair had points. i known and then the second pick which i was hoping someone would pick was Carcassonne, because kevin did Carcassonne, say that. <laughs> yeah is such a so i you know my in-laws are now 80 and it's a little harder to play with them now but like the last 10 years, we've played just the most cutthroat versions of Carcassonne, my wife, my sister-in-law, and my in-laws, and to the level that we just can't play Carcassonne with anybody else because we are just that good and that vicious. And it's it's anyways. And so if anyone would have said Carcassonne, that would have had my vote. So uh I guess I'll go for Lisboa.
1: Evan wins the internet. Tonight. Evan wins the internet. So, Kevin, I had a friend of mine who's a big board gamer, but he told me... I don't- Y'all are playing Carcassonne tonight. I don't want to play that. I don't like playing those, you know, those friendly games. I'm going friendly. Friendly. That is a well, what do they? You know, the old trope. It's a knife fight in a phone booth if you play it with the right people. I mean, well, it's one of rem- the meanest games alive.
3: Oh yeah, and so yeah, getting into someone's farm, stealing their cities, like bitter mm-hmm. vicious. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't play it initially because the like the first edition rules or first English printing rules that I think was Rio Grande were a mess. And like, I didn't want to play it, but then the rest of the family just caught into it so much. I was like, fine, I'll play because like, it's weird. I'm the game player and I'm not playing this game that they all love. So then, you know, I came in and yes, Carcassonne is, I mean, it's not a game like I would say now, like, Oh, we got to play that. But like, it's just such a classic, like, it, it eclipses even Catan for me. It's like, or even Ticket to Ride, it's like the classic game to play. So,
1: mm. so Steve, are yeah. you giving Evan a point for Kevin? I don't
3: know. I would be tempted to do so, but Evan's going to is Kevin picking the city?
0: Are you did, no, I'm, did you? No, I said Lisboa. I said Lisboa. Okay, I didn't hear it. Okay, yeah. got you. Yeah. I didn't want to hear it, but I, I guess I, mean, I did. <laughs> it's a All weak right.
3: third choice, but.
0: You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, BJ extends his lead, right? Thank you. Next game is best history-themed game. Now this has to not be affiliated with either one of the two of you, and history can mean, however we define it, war- board game-wise. It doesn't have to be a war game, but because we'd have
1: been fighting over votes for women or shores of Tripoli for sure. Yeah, exactly. Not of yes, course. Exactly.
0: Yes. So if we want to rotate this around, is it my turn to kick off? It is Go yours, for it, Steve. Okay. My game, and I'm I'm pretty optimistic about my choice here, is Watergate. Seeing your reactions to Watergate from earlier, and knowing Whoa. that there is a um, a Philip affiliation with the DC area, and knowing the picking Watergate a with that. the two
1: DC people, Jack Crew, come on, man!
0: You know, uh, you know, I, I, my my great grandmother was Richard Nixon. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: very solid choice, Steve. That's but a solid,
0: I mean, literally tug of war, back and forth. Playing for power and, and influence, and whether you, whether you pick which either, whichever side, it almost it feels a little bit easier to pick there because it seems like at that point I wouldn't mind playing as Nixon and th- and throwing myself into the villainy role if I wanted to do that because I could think about that as as role playing rather than being on the wrong on the wrong side of history perhaps, um, but Watergate just really screamed thematic history game for me. Good choice.
1: I uh I threw I threw a curveball in this one for y'all. Number one, it's my favorite city in the whole world, as Steve knows, New York City. And so I picked a game New York 1901. And I could tell when I wrote it down in the notes that both Verla and Steve rolled their eyes. They're like, New York 1901? How's that a history game? Ah you're
4: wrong, DJ, you're so wrong.
1: Ah, but that's because I've followed and befriended Chanye LaSalle, the designer. Even before the game came out, I was following the development of, well, not before it came out, before it won the awards, I was following the development of it. La LaSalle, who's the designer, loves history, and he loves photographs. So when he was making this game, and I think this is, this is where Tori's going to be thinking about this, because it's similar to what you did with Votes for Women. As he's making the game, he created a Facebook page called Postcards from New York City. And what it is, is he started collecting postcards of these amazing buildings at the turn of the century. And then he kind of put it out there. People started sending him postcards from all these beautiful buildings, not knowing that this is about a game. This is just one of those Facebook you know, group type things. If you go through those amazing photographs, you see the history of what I believe is the world's greatest city, Steve, New York City. You know I'm a big fan. So That's, I, that's <laughs> the thing you've said tonight that you're not wrong about. <laughs> I had to pick... New York, 1901, because I think I think it is secretly a fantastic history game for anybody that plays, Mm -hmm. because they're going to see these buildings and they're going to be interested in it and do like me. They're going to Google it and come up with that beautiful website that uh, Chenier has curated. So,
4: okay, New York, 1901. BJ, you're wrong. When I saw that was your answer on the list, I was like, really, BJ, that was really good. Why didn't I think of that one? And you're the one that's gotten me to play it. I owned that game, never played it. Ended up trading it out, and then finally played it with you at BGG Con, and I was like, okay, this needs to come back into my collection because I really want to play it again. Mm. Um, so Great yeah, I, I wish I had picked that and put that on my list. But I put Great Western Trail because you get to be a cowboy, you know, driving cattle across the range. Across you're gonna the sing the Toby
1: Keith song, right?
4: <laughs> Should've been a cowboy. There it is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Bring it. It's deck building. Um got all these cute cows and then they're going to make a new version that's New Zealand that has sheep that are so cute. Um and you're just you're you know you're trying to get with the new version the second edition of great western trail with the cows you've got these little baby cows if you get card early on and then you can trade them as you get to kansas city and they grow up and then it's a teenage count it's kind of gangly and awkward and then it's a big grown-up cow if you get the highest one then you get more points for it it's so much fun so and then, much fun and, but and
0: then you, you, know, then you, you to, eat it
4: um no you put it on a train and let somebody else eat it at the other yeah, end yeah then it's so. then it's history that's how it works mm. okay so,
1: gwt all baby, right, yeah i think? mean it may not
4: have the flavor text and all the you know historical very specific historical hmm. pieces like steve's choice in watergate which is a very good choice and bj's but you know if you're all about american history and like cowboy um you know the, the whole idea of the the midwest cowboy you can't go wrong with Great Western Trail. Good choice, brother.
1: If this show were in Montana... And yes, girl, putting cowboy win.
4: hats on the meeples. Super fun. So mm-hmm. satisfying. You got to get the second edition. They kind of upgraded the bits and everything. So great.
3: Kevin, Kev, what do you think? So, this <laughs> I... Well, please. the right answer would have been Star Wars Rebellion. Because that <laughs> is... A game that takes place a long time ago. but
4: In a galaxy far, far away.
3: (laughs) Um, And that's actually why we had it at our convention, was the only non-historical game we had there. Well, non-historical, of course, it's really a historical game. Um, uh, Boy. So I actually grew up in Montana. And so you would think I would like Great Western Trail, but actually... I don't. And I don't mm. know why. It's some moral failing on my part. Um,
4: you just seem to I, be against me this entire game, Kevin.
3: <laughs> I know. I've actually I have been never done that. to you, man. Yes. Well, it's because you know, I do a good deed, votes for women, so now I'm gonna do a bad deed and you know, always vote against your choices. Oh wow. Um, oh wow. So oh.
4: So Tori's I, gonna be clearly voting for Great Western Trail now.
3: But she should probably balance <laughs> me out. Uh, so I would say canceling votes. Yeah, what I often say, well, so I've run the Watergate tournament at PrezCon, and I ran one here for Circle DC. And what I usually say is my only criticism of Watergate is that we didn't publish it. So I'm going to have to go with Watergate.
1: It does feel like a Fort circle game. It would have been a great one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see that. That's fantastic.
2: Tori. Okay. I would say Watergate was one of the games I got right before the pandemic and played a lot of it. There was a lot of free time on my hands. Um, and I think that's right. The tug of war, the being a villain, like it's all, you know, it's all, it's all right there. Uh, uh, I'm not from, Montana but I used to live in Kansas which was cow country in mm-hmm. Ellsworth mm-hmm. which is um you know one of those old cow t- they have cow town days so I'm very connected with the history of um of the the old west I just watched Stagecoach tonight Oh um, yeah. Yeah, John John Wendell. Wendell. Like, a, yeah yeah, yeah. Yep, sure. yep, that, John Wayne like John Ford John Ford yeah Ford's yep yeah it's it just got released on the Criterion collection and so Excellent. um the great great movie so um and Panavision Panavision, I and cows, and cows. Um, cows. I think I think nineteen oh one. Getting people to send you postcards sounds like kind of a cop out on research <laughs> 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 with Great Western Trail.
0: Thank you. Thank oh, you, the cows take it.
1: Nicely right. done, Verla. Nicely. So, done, what are our Verla. scores going into the fourth quarter? Uh, going, going into, into
0: the final round, this now has Verla with one, me with two and BJ with four. The only one who won a three pointer with captains of the Gulf. So All I think right. Verla
1: should go first. Okay. You know, uh, give, give her a chance to pitch it to the crowd and get this kay. thing done.
0: Sounds good. All right, Verla, the last category that we've got is best ancient civilization kind of themed game. It just has to be at least marginally set in a, before the Renaissance time space, you know, uh, setting, I suppose. Ooh, so Star
1: Wars building is out, Kevin. <laughs>
3: Happened a yes. long time ago. Right.
4: So I went with Teotihuacan, the City of Gods, where you are trying to build the ancient Pyramid of the Sun. Have you guys played it? I own yeah. it. You mm-hmm. own it. You own it. Well, there's a start. We're, we're starting off on a somewhat good foot here, Kevin. <laughs> have you, you own it, but you haven't played it yet. You're missing out. It's got these tactile square blocks that you're building this pyramid with in the middle of the table. Um, it's got this amazing table presence. You have your dice that you're using for your workers. They go around the board. There's like eight, I think. Like sections around the board that you can go to to gather resources, stone or gold or decorations for the temple of the pyramid as you're building it up. Um, There's some set collection. There's some ancient uh, Mesoamerican masks that you can collect. Um, They are coming out with a new deluxified version of it on Kickstarter. You know, talking about blinging out your games. I mean, I was really impressed with the game as it was when it came out. What 2019 ish. Um, and the upgrades that they're doing on it are just like, Oh my goodness. Wow. So anyways, talk about ancient civilization. That's one of the few that I've played and really, really liked. So that's my vote.
3: Okay. All
0: Steve. right. To me, um, my choice for this was raw. Going back to Rhino Kenizia and uh, ancient Egypt this that's the setting it may not it may not be super historical but the setting there calls out to me and there's so many different versions of this with different art that you're guaranteed to find one that you like the look up including a new um a new edition from is it 25th century dj did you did you get that one oh, sorry i'm <laughs> pretty sure it is
1: evan and i are doing some photoshop
0: stuff <laughs> sorry i see um <laughs> what you've got with raw is Something I do have the I
1: do have the brand new one from 21st Century. It's what surprised
0: me about it is that it's an auction game, and I don't like auction games. But it's an auction game that is very accessible. You have a couple of different choices of what you can bid, and your bids will eventually come back into rotation. So that when you place the bid, there will be a, when the when the bid finishes, those things are going to get redistributed in some ways. So you're then going to be vote you know trying to pull out of a bag, Quacks of style. Oh, this came first and you're gonna be doing set collection through auctioning. And the fun that ha- is in this little auctiony game while you're rooting for someone to break or bust and chanting rah, 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 rah to arrive. I was just blown away by how accessible and fun this game was. It's it's like a pumped up set collection, sushi go-ish type thing with auction that is in a, in a setting that I love, the ancient Egyptian theme. It's a good sell, that's a good sell.
1: So I found out that Europeans have about 2%, in some cases, Neanderthal Neanderthal DNA still left around. And so I started thinking about my ancestors and the struggle, <laughs> and the struggle they had. No, I, I, I can't even sell this one. It's Stone Age, and there's two reasons I picked it. Number one, it was really one of the first ancient civilization games that I, I kind of played and had a good time as a board game because we used to play Age of Mythology and Age of Empires a lot. Stone Age is nothing like that. It's a worker placement game. It's got a, a great dice mechanic. The the dice cup smells terribly when you first play it. It's got all those things that when I was first getting into, it, first getting into the game, I know. Oh, that's know so fair. Was, it's true. It's true. But the second reason I picked it is simply because... When we play it, I love singing the B-52s, Love Shack. I mean, we're going to sing Love Shack the entire time. If you play Stone Age with me, we're always going to be singing Love Shack. So
0: yep.
1: ancient and history. And rusted. rusted. Ancient history. I'm 2% Neanderthal, as my wife would tell you every time we go to the bowling alley. And number three, it's got the Love Shack. So. That's my yeah. that's my story for Stone Age.
0: Selling point still- on this: you're gonna love this game. It smells noxious. Is like ever <laughs> the <laughs> total reverse psychology, DJ. Hey,
1: Tory likes accessible games, so I threw New York 1901. Didn't catch, didn't land, but Stone Age very accessible. It's it a, it's out, a it game is. that everybody's got to play at some time. True.
4: So. I still haven't played it, but you oh. didn't really sell me tonight, bj <laughs> A stinky, smelly game? you yep. are going to make people sing? Love What's are bad singers?
0: I liked your choice of Teotihuacan, too, Verla. I, I, that is a stinky game that hurts my head, but in a good way.
2: <laughs> All and right, so, Tori, what you got? So, I will immediately reject the stinky cup game. <laughs> <laughs>
1: don't know what yeah, that's I hope about. that came out the way you meant it to come out But okay go ahead we'll take oh, it okay go
0: ahead. Yeah.
2: um i am intrigued by group chanting but ultimately <laughs> decide against bringing I, there was some terrible marvel show about the like raising of egyptian
0: oh uh, maybe good I, good one Ethan, Hawk's,
2: Ethan Hawk makes me think that's a bad idea. So I'm <laughs> going to go with Teo Teotihuacan. I'm going Woohoo! to Mexico City for my 40th birthday in like two weeks. So I've been oh like goodness. reading up on it. I've oh, been doing awesome. research and so easy, done. It sounds nice. a lot of fun. It looks beautiful. Um, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but it's definitely on my, um, on my list. If well we done, ever get girl. together, happy to teach it to
4: you. That's that's super
2: very fun. Nice. Sounds good. Right. Over over some alligator bites, right? Yeah. There you go.
1: So no pressure, Kevin, but this is the most important decision you make all day. <laughs> no
3: pressure. So Raw is a game that we would never publish because it's not really historical at all, right? Like the theme <laughs> is just pasted on there. Just, like that could be anything. It but, really could. But. <laughs> but it could but, be Barham and
4: Bailey Circus. It could be
3: yes but my father-in-law it's the only game that he dominates the family at mm-hmm. like his Mr. ability Mitchell. with that game, i know it's crazy right like that old fart dominates at raw <laughs> like so like you know usually like there's five of us that play games and like if it's carcassonne like My wife and I win like two thirds of the games and then maybe the rest. But like, like, so we're kind of the better game players. But with Raw, I would say that old coot wins 80% of the time. Like he Mm. just dominates Raw. And so I got to say hats off to the old man and uh, hats off to Raw. Because there's a game that I suck at and my father-in-law is great at. So I approve of that. There's some value in that. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, so I'm going to go with Raw.
1: All right, give okay. us some scores, That's not like a score, Steve.
3: Stinky game was. So. <laughs> Sounds like a Blue Panther game. We hey, Tom
1: roller checking in. All right, thank you for coming by. Just missed the game. This ended
0: up being pretty close at the end, and I was almost able to take advantage of the BJ loses ties, but BJ I think has pulled it out four to three to two. Oh, Rolla, Rolla, a good comeback there in the end. You, you, Teotihuacan. I thought. I thought when you said <clears throat> raw is. Themeless and pasted on. I, I agree, but I thought Teo T was a good take game. you would have
3: taken the tie, you would have had it. Right. Well, and so in fairness, I've not only I not only own it. I've looked at it, and it looks like a pretty good game. And I think, but it's hard for me to without actually having played it or watched anybody play it really make a full mm-hmm. commitment to it and so i feel sure. really bad about this and i see the scowl you're giving me so if i need to send you some promo cards for votes for women or anything <laughs> i need to do you know, okay to make the way between us better i'm happy to do so so you should so fear we, the gumball gets overlord dragging right he
1: Verla wins the game. <laughs> yes she did all right Makes sense. That is the Boudin Bowl presented by our friends at Game Toppers LLC. Don't forget to make your game nights a showstopper when you play on a Game Topper. All right, board gamers, that's it for another episode of Gumbo Live. I really want to thank Tori and Kevin for sticking around for a little longer Boudin Bowl. it it, it just We just kept going with it. It was fantastic. How can they reach both of you? Tori, Starting with you first. If they have any questions after the show.
2: Sure, I am on Twitter at Tory Lynn T O R Y L Y N N. Uh, there's an Instagram page, "Votes for Women" game, and I just started a TikTok "Votes for Women" game. You, if you if you want, you can try to find me there. Nice, <laughs> Kevin.
3: Uh, yes, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> uh, at Fort Circle. On- Yes, thank you. On Twitter, I'm at Fort Circle. And uh, I gotta email,
1: solo this, Kevin. I just have to solo this. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> uh, and my uh, email is Kevin at Fortcircle uh, Our website is fortcircle.com. So <laughs> a lot of Fort Circle action going on here. So um,
2: <laughs> some kind of circle. I, I don't this is a family show. You can't say that, Kevin. That's
1: great though. Oh uh, yeah. So at Fort Circle or, or and Tori, yours is at Tori Lynn. At Tori Lynn, that's right. <clears throat> Fantastic. Uh th- that was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for coming in. Yes. Uh, make sure to like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash board game gumbo, or the youtube.com slash board game gumbo. It helps us get the word out about all of our upcoming shows, including in two weeks, we're gonna have the brand, my good buddy Brant Sanderson of the Right Brain Rollers Podcast. He does it with Eric Summer. Uh, from the Dice Tower Awards and of course Dice Tower <clears throat> Podcast you can check out uh, Brant's brand new podcast Right Brain Rollers Podcast or come, come by in two weeks and see us you can catch us on Twitch next week on twitch.tv slash Gumbo. every other Tuesday night we play your games live on Twitch I am BJ from Board Game Gumbo for Verla and for Steve and thanks to Tori and thanks to Kevin and for Adam les les bon temps rouler
4: hey everyone